0: Good to see all of you this morning, and uh, thank you for coming to be with us. I'll ask you to turn to John chapter 7. Good to see some folks visiting with us this morning. We're glad you came, and trust God will bless you, and thank you for being here. This morning I would like to go back to verse 37 and start uh, such a rich uh, passage that we have the privilege of uh, of studying and expounding upon this morning as Jesus, on the very last day of the Feast of Booths, stood up in the temple and it says in verse 37, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Beautiful invitation that the Lord gives. Here in verses 37 38. And it's an invitation for everyone and for anyone who will come and drink freely of the water of life that Jesus himself supplies. It comes from the graciousness of God to those who do not deserve to drink. And that's each and every one of us in this room this morning. He says in verse uh, 38, whoever believes in Him. Those words, whoever believes, is present tense. They're present tense words signifying a continuing act that is happening here and now. This is the nature of true faith. One believes and continues believing. It does not stop. It continues on. And God continues to give the individual who believes at a certain point in time the faith to continue believing on through present time. I believed back in 1971, before many of you were born. And I have believed from that day until this. Because the Lord gave me His grace to do so. That believing is equated with the flow of rivers. This flow that Jesus speaks of proceeds from the innermost part of the individual who is doing the believing, it comes from his heart. Now, a river is defined as a natural stream of water of fairly large size flowing in a definite course or channel. For example, we, we, we think of channels, uh, rivers. We live very close to the largest river in our country. <clears throat> but rivers are channels through which water flows. And this, he's talking then here about believers being channels through which the water of life flows. And it is sent out of the individual and it makes contact with people around them. Leon Morris in his excellent commentary on the Gospel of John writes, The believer is not self-centered. As he receives the gift of God, so he passes it on to others. Or to put it the same thought in another way, when a man believes, he becomes a servant of God, and God uses him to be the means of bringing blessing to others. It is that flow out of the heart of the individual who believes in Christ as Lord There are two thoughts that surface here. One is that of evangelizing those who do not know that the water can satisfy the thirst of their soul. We're not simply proselyting people. We're not simply trying to gather people in numbers. We're not interested in that. What we're interested in is... The flow of the gospel that what it's done in our lives, flowing out of our lives to see for so that others can see the worth and the value of having Christ as the treasure of our lives. We genuinely desire that people will come to know the Lord in relationship as we do so that they will find in Him the same kindness and graciousness that we enjoy. That's what we want. If their lives aren't changed, what good is it? We're just a social club then. We're not a social club. We're a church. And that flow is what Christ sends out of our lives so that others can come to know Him. This is what Jesus is doing in this case as He stood up there in the temple. He's offering people the water of life that will save their souls. The second part of this, the other thing is that this flow edifies other believers. So it evangelizes those that are lost in their sin, but it also edifies other believers. We're all on a different scale or velocity of maturity and advancement and spiritual growth, as far as our faith is concerned. We're all on a different plane. We're not all in the same. We're all running the same race. We're just running it in different places. For some, some are, have grown spiritually in the Word. So that they can encourage others with particular gifts that God has given them. Others are coming along in that process. Everybody that comes to know the Lord in faith, believing in Him as, as their Lord and their Savior, as the treasure of their life, begins that race. And everybody's in a different place. In other words, the flow of spiritual life in us spills over onto the lives of others in Christ, that they might be blessed and encouraged to live out their faith. It's one of the reasons we come here. I love what Steve said. We we're not. It's not that we have the duty of coming here, although there is some something in that. But we have the gift of coming here so that we can encourage each other, so that we can pull up next to each other and and lift one another up because the days are evil and the walk is hard. And those that are mature should be seeking out those that are in process under where they've been so that they too can be encouraged to continue the walk. The impact of that is Enormous. Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 4 through 11. Where he lists the various gifts that that have been given to the church. Some of those gifts have ceased. And others are still active. We need to find out what our gift is. Or gifts and use them for the benefit of the church at large for the church body now when we say the church we're talking about we're talking about every believer worldwide that makes up the universal body of the church of Christ genuine believers around the world but this church here is an expression of that we can't pull up to next to people in other countries and do that. We can do it by uh, sometimes by video or but a lot of times we don't know their language. This is the importance of the local church and that expression of what the universal church one day will be when we're all with the Lord in heaven and we all see Him face-to-face, and we will be with him, and we will all understand one another. Peter speaks of this, using our gifts that way, in 1 Peter chapter 4, would you like to turn there with me? In fact, we've got quite a few verses to turn to this morning, so uh, just keep your Bibles ready. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Peter says this, As each has received a gift. Now that means that everybody has a gift. I have people all the time asking me, "I, don't, I don't, What's my gift? I don't know what my gift is. Uh, well, there's only one way to find out what your gift is. And that's to get involved with God's people in different areas, in different ways, and find out what fits you the best. But you can't do it at arm's distance. You can't you'll never find out by stiff arming the people around you. I love the fact that when we end our services here on Sunday morning, people are here, they stay, and they're talking and they're encouraging one another and they're they're lifting one another up. They're using their gifts. He says, each one has a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Our gifts bespeak the flow of God. Of that river that is in our heart. The statement that Jesus makes here in the temple is very close to the one that he made to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4 of John. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life rivers, can be the result of a very small flow of water. Now, I've had the privilege of seeing the Mississippi in its southern form, driving across a mile wide, and I've had the privilege of standing in the headwaters in Minnesota, just about as wide as from here to that wall. Rivers, like the Mississippi, start from a relatively small flow, but they turn into mighty rivers. And we all know the power that water can have in its flow. So what is this flow that Jesus said would spill out of our hearts and not only seek to evangelize people to know Christ, but also would spill out on other believers to encourage them what is the flow he tells us in verse 39 and John gets very Jesus got very specific here and John tells us what he meant now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus Had not been glorified. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, all of this that has been said by the Lord concerning the manna in chapter 6, where he fed the 5,000, and then he talked about the manna that God gave, and the water here in chapter 7. In verses 37 38 that we just looked at, that all relates to the Old Testament by association. Now I want you to try and stay with me here for a moment because we're going to look at an Old Testament passage in Nehemiah chapter 8. If you'll turn there, Nehemiah <coughs> chapter 8. We get the background From Nehemiah 8 and 9 as to the association of the manna or the bread and the water coupled with the spirit. Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 5 and 6. This is the time when the Israelites have just come out of uh, of captivity. And Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls at Jerusalem. And Ezra the priest has come to read the law in the hearing of the people of Israel. He says in verse 5 of chapter 8, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people and he opened it. All the people, when all the, he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That is key. So many times have I gone into churches, and I've been in hundreds of churches over my lifetime, so many times hearing a preacher stand to preach and not explain what the Scripture is saying, that really does no one any good. Look down at verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last day. Now what's he talking about? Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to that here in a moment. He read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rules. So now, he's talking about the Feast of Booths. The children of Israel are seen here as those who have come out of exile and are eager to obey God's Word from Deuteronomy chapter 31, which commanded them to observe the Feast of booths. Why was, why is this so important? Because they had not observed the Feast of booths since the time of Joshua. It hadn't been done. They were sent into exile. They could not observe the the feast. They didn't really even know about or understand the feast. But Ezra stands and, and reads the Old Testament scriptures. The law of God. And he gets to Deuteronomy 31. That tells them to observe the feast of booths or a feast of tabernacles. And they are eager to do it. And so they do it seven days, on the eighth day. This is the very same feast that Jesus is involved in here in John chapter seven, where it says on the on the last day, the great day of the feast, that would have been the eighth day. This was one of the things that they learned in Ezra's reading of the Scriptures. And they hadn't done it before. And so now they observed the feast. And at the end of the feast, on the last day, the people recited a prayer of praise and confession. And that's found in in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. If you look at Nehemiah 9, you see it in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. That's confession. They knew what their ancestors had done. They knew how their ancestors had, had stiffened their necks against God and been disobedient to God. And so they confessed that their ancestors had done that, but they don't want to be that way. But notice he mentions the bread and the water. Look down at verse 19. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them in their way that they should go. Now, notice verse 20. Verse 20 ties it all together. You gave, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and gave them water for their thirst. Here we have the link. When Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He was talking about the work of the Spirit in the lives of the people. Here this verse, verse 20, ties it all together. So there's a link between the manna which Jesus used as an illustration in chapter 6 and the water which he so vividly pictures here in chapter 7 and the the Holy Spirit who is the teacher of God's law and of God's word. But the Spirit had not come yet. At this time, Jesus had not been glorified, His work was not yet complete, and the church did not yet exist. Now, the working of this Holy Spirit is, as, as the third person of the Trinity, is equal to the Father and equal to Christ, and has existed from all eternity, just like the other members of the Godhead. However, at this time, the Holy Spirit was not indwelling believers as he does today. Certainly, his influence has been and his work is seen from the very beginning. What do we see in Genesis 1, verse 2? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There he is, right in the very beginning of creation. But he did not come to dwell in believers as Christ's church until the day of Pentecost. And that's found in Acts chapter 2. If you turn to Acts 2. Jesus rose from the dead. He he, He lived and walked on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Visiting and teaching His disciples in that interim between His resurrection and His ascension. And He ascended. On the uh, After 40 days, He ascended, telling His disciples to wait until the Spirit came. To stay in Jerusalem and wait until the Spirit came. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Being therefore, uh, drop down to verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's talking about Christ. This is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the, promised, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Notice these next words. He has poured out. What does that sound like? Sounds like a pouring out of water, doesn't it? This is the promise Jesus made back in chapter 7. That He would send the Spirit. And Peter, He he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every single individual that is born again by faith in Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And He comes into our life, He comes into our, our heart, our soul, if you will, and He causes us to have a new birth and He lives within us and He never leaves and He never will leave. Even when we're caught up To meet the Lord in the air, the Spirit of God will always dwell within our bodies. Even when the body is changed to be a glorious body like that of Christ, He will still dwell in us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll always be there. Now there must have been some lack of understanding about the work of the Spirit among the disciples. Because Jesus explains to them what will take place when the Spirit comes. In chapter 14, verse 16, He said, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. He will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows Him, sees Him, or knows Him. The world can't receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is only received by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, John 14, verse 17. He is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows Him. But He says to His disciples, you know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. There's a difference. Between dwelling with and in. So these believers. These disciples. The Holy Spirit had worked with them. But he had not yet indwelt them. And that didn't happen until Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost. The promise Jesus makes here. And why? Why? differentiate between with and in because it hadn't happened yet they hadn't experienced the indwelling of the spirit they certainly experienced the spirit working with them but he hadn't indwelt them and so the promise Jesus makes concerning the spirit was was yet future The time would come when the Spirit would be poured out, just like the water was poured out in symbolic form of the water that came gushing out of the rock in the wilderness. The time would come when the Spirit would be poured out and He would indwell every true believer. And He would cause that flow Jesus spoke of. And what is the flow? The flow is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who believe. That's what it is. When as a Christian you do things for the glory of God, you help someone in the name of Christ, you witness to someone of what He has done for you, that's the flow of the Spirit in your life as a believer. He sends a stream into the world and it... And it says there's life and hope in Jesus Christ. And what does that flow look like? It looks like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And of those kinds of things that the Spirit uses in the flow like a river there's no law against those things those things are good anytime anywhere for any reason that's the flow of the spirit in lives of those who drink of the water of life now when jesus made this statement he's looking forward To the Spirit coming and inhabiting the church, which is made up of all those who believe. Or, to be more precise, all of those who are believing. Because believing goes on every moment that comes, it goes on. And it is the Holy Spirit that enables the church to be that flow of spiritual life and hope. Jesus promised He would send the Spirit to be our guide and empower believers. In John chapter 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So He's the the teacher. He's the Helper. Do you ever cry for help? Do you ever cry to, to understand it's the Spirit that does that. Now John makes this statement even more clear when he says in, uh, when he says in verse 39, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now that speaks of his ascension, which took place forty days after his resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, as Jesus was lifted up, as He went up into the clouds, and the angels standing there with the disciples said, Why are you looking up into the sky? Jesus, This same Jesus that went up, will come back just like that. He'll come back just like that in the clouds. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? That's what we long for. Believers cannot be a blessing. Hear me carefully. Believers cannot be a blessing or overflow into the world unless the Holy Spirit comes upon them. This is what this is what they said. This is what Jesus said in Acts 1 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. So They, just as they could not be a blessing unless the Spirit came, the Spirit could not come unless Jesus was glorified. God always has a sequence in His plan. And it always follows that plan. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Spirit, the Helper will not come. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, the things that Jesus was saying in the temple were startling res- rev- revelations to the people there that day. Startling revelations. And the people listening on that day had mixed opinions. There's no way that I'm going to get through uh, verse 52 this morning. Um but uh, I don't want to, I want to start. <laughs> Look at verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee. Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but others, no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, Why did you not bring him? Remember, they had sent out a delegation of officers, the, the temple police, to arrest him. Why did you not bring him? And the officer said, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search, the, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Mm, they are incensed. <clears> hmm. <throat> the varying opinions of the people that day are the same as they are today. People are no different. They never have been any different. There are people who are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and there are those who are contrary to those beliefs. Then there are people who are just plain confused as to who Jesus is and there are others who sort of have a agnostic con- uh, contemplation of an unsure nature about who Jesus is some of these people were persuaded that Jesus was or could be the one who they had been looking for but even in saying that some said This is the Christ or the prophet. It muddies the water. Because that term, the prophet, resonated in the minds of the people. No doubt their thoughts went back to Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Where Moses had told the children of Israel that God... Your God the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from among you from among your brothers him you will listen to Was this the prophet that Moses was speaking of But the, They had said the same thing back in chapter 6 verse 14 when when Jesus broke the bread and fed the fed the multitude of people they said this this is the prophet there were others who were prompted to say that he was the christ christ is the greek word christos which which is equal to the hebrew messiah once hebrew and once greek means the same they mean the same thing the anointed one this is the anointed one this is the christ they were saying and they started proclaiming that he was the messiah now why the two designations the two designations there the prophet and the christ are there because in the first century many jews thought uh, of the promised prophet and of the messiah as two separate individuals they were not in their minds they were not the same person but in reality they are synonymous terms of which jesus perfectly fits the fulfillment Still, there were others in the crowd that day that found it perplexing and struggled to believe that he was the Messiah because he was from Galilee. They cited the scripture that stated where the Messiah would come from. And they scorned him with these statements and questions. These things were not just, they weren't just sitting back and contemplating it they were they were in his face with it and they scorned him and they but they were correct in their statement in their knowledge of scripture but they hate Jesus their hate for him is, still exists they didn't bother to probe further if they had If they had, they would have found that he was a descendant of David, and they would have found that he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. Let me jump ahead here a little bit. Those of you who have notes, you you can catch up. Just to say this, that anything you say about Jesus is going to divide people. And if you know Jesus, it's going to divide people against you. There are those... <coughs> Who believe and don't believe that there is a division? There are those who walk in the light and those who walk in darkness. See, this is all the, always a division. These are the divisions we're talking about: light and darkness. Jesus divides sheep from goats. Jesus separates children of God from the children of the devil. When people in families come to know Jesus, it many times divides their families and their friends. There is no middle ground with Jesus. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either for Him or you're against Him. You're either either with Him or you're separated from Him. There's no middle ground. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Whoever is not with Me is against Me, and whoever does not gather scatters. It's black and white. There are no gray areas. Now, the application for us is clear. When you attach yourself to Jesus through faith and belief in Him, you will automatically create a division of people in your life. Automatically. They won't understand. They won't know what you've done. They won't believe what you've done in following Jesus. Your family may not like your newfound faith. Your co-workers may think you've gone totally crazy. Your close friends may not want to be friendly anymore. There is a price to pay for being a child of God. But the compensation is peace and joy and love and a hope that you gain that your eternal soul is secure in Christ. The Apostle Paul expresses it to the Philippians this way Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. This world and all that it offers, the people in it, the material wealth that can be amassed, cannot be compared to what Jesus gives to the sinner who repents and takes him and believes in him and follows him. There's no comparison. The division was very intense on this day and the people would have laid hands on him and and dragged him before the chief priest and arrested him, but it wasn't his time yet. God's timeline was set and he would not be taken that way. Hmm. Do you know him today? Do you love him? Is he your lord? Is he your treasure? Do you do you have the peace that he has forgiven your sins? And that one day you will be with Him in heaven? I hope hope so. If not, we're going to pray for you that uh, God will open your heart. That you will confess your sins before Him and repent of them and turn to Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank You for the Word. That you have given us for this passage in John 7. For the truth that Jesus Christ our Lord came to this earth and bled and died. gave himself as a sacrifice for sinners like us. Lord, uh, there may be someone here today who does not know you. Uh, I pray that you would open their hearts to receive the gospel. That they would be saved. That they would come to know you. I pray Lord that as they as they as you open their hearts and they receive you I pray Lord that you would be to them the great treasure of their life Bless I pray this Lord's day do your work through your spirit by your word in people's lives and hearts and we will give you the praise and the glory for it In Jesus' name, amen. Just an announcement or two.